0: We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 8. As I mentioned, next week we will start the book of Philippians, but this week we're going to talk a little bit about who our church is, what our mission is, and how we can be a part of that mission as believers in Jesus Christ. And uh, as we start, I want to take us back a hundred years, a hundred years before I think anybody in this room was born, October 3rd. 1918, toward the tail end of World War I, on the western front of the war in Verdun, France, uh, there was a man named Major Charles Whittlesley. He was an army major in command of a battalion in France toward the end of World War I. And uh, Major Whittlesley's battalion was pinned in, surrounded by the Germans And over a period of a day or two, they took a heavy shelling from the enemy. They were whittled down from 500 to under 200 men. And they were desperate. And then they began to take friendly fire. Uh, the American uh, support behind them, about 25 miles behind them, didn't realize their exact position. And so they started in an attempt to drop artillery on the Germans, they began to drop artillery on their own fellow soldiers. And so Major Whittlesley began to try to find a way to send a message back to headquarters that, uh, first of all, we need help, and secondly, you are killing us. And so he began to send carrier pigeons up into the sky to try to fly back, homing pigeons to try to fly back to headquarters. And pigeon after pigeon after pigeon was shot down out of the sky and didn't make it back to headquarters with the message. Finally, about the third or fourth pigeon he sent up was a pigeon whose name is Cher Ami. In French, that means my friend. And uh, he tied the message to Cher Ami's leg in a little canister. Cher Ami took off into the sky to head back to headquarters and the German troops spotted him in the sky and shot at him. In fact, they shot him down. He fell down to the ground. He was hit in the breast. He was blinded in one eye and the leg carrying the message was hit as well and was left dangling by a tendon. Cher Ami ascended again into the sky and flew the 25 miles back Headquarters with his message that essentially said, "This is our location. This is the road we're on. We are taking fire from our own artillery. For heaven's sake, stop it!" And Ami, this little pigeon, saved the lives of just under 200 soldiers. They actually uh, army medics got to work on the pigeon and, and uh, stitched him back up. They gave him a little wooden leg. It's a true story. And then they put him on a boat and Major General. Uh, sorry, General John Pershing himself saw Cher off across the ocean, where he lived for another eight months and then died of his war injuries. His military career was over. Uh, incidentally, if you go to the Smithsonian today, you can see Cher Ami. Uh, this is what we do with heroes we stuff them and we place them on <laughs> display. Now, I had never heard this story before this week, and I thought, man, that's amazing, right? This pigeon looks like an unlikely hero, an unlikely messenger of such a critical life-or-death message, right? And I realize that pigeons can't read, but there's that part of me that wants to believe that Cher Ami understood the importance of his mission. He understood that he was carrying a life-or-death message, Right. And so he said, no matter what happens, I may be shot at, I may die, but this message is critical to deliver. And so he carried that message back across enemy lines to headquarters and saved all those lives. Right. Now I share that this morning because you and I, in a similar way, we carry a life or death message. Right. But it's not a message of physical life. Instead, it is a message of eternal life that every single person who believes in Jesus Christ can know that when we die, that's not the end of the story, that because Jesus died for us, because Jesus rose again, we know if we believe in Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life. That is the message of the gospel. And we carry it, right? God has appointed us to be messengers and we are unlikely messengers, right? We are sinful, we are afraid, we are weak. And yet God sent us into the world. And said, I want you to deliver a critical, life saving message that life is only found in Jesus Christ. If you've been at Grace Bible Church for very long at all, you know that we are all about the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. From Matthew twenty eight, which we will read in a in a few minutes. But Jesus, the last words before he ascended into heaven, he commissioned his disciples and he said, I want you to go into all the world and you make disciples, right? You teach people to know me, to follow me. Teach them all I commanded, so that they can have life. So they can teach others about me so they can have life. That's the mission of our church. Or to put it more simply, we help people find and follow Jesus. That's who we are. We help people find and follow Jesus, right? And if you're like me, you often think, boy, I am an unlikely messenger to help people find and follow Jesus. I'm far from perfect. I'm far from perfectly knowledgeable. I'm sinful. I'm weak. And yet, God has called us to help people find and follow Jesus. What we want to do this morning is look at a couple of questions surrounding this mission. One is, why has God sent us on this mission? And why us, right? Why doesn't God just speak from the sky? Why has he called us? And then how can we do this? Dusty is actually gonna get up in a a few minutes and he's gonna talk some about how can we incorporate this into our lives. But before we go there, I wanna look for a minute at Acts chapter eight because we're gonna see one story of a man who was an unlikely messenger, but who said, I will be faithful to God's mission because he called me. Acts chapter eight, starting in verse 26, follow with me. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you were reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture, which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I want to make just a few points about this passage that relates to our mission. As we look at this story of Philip bringing the gospel to this Ethiopian man, first point is this, God designed the mission. God designed the mission. God is the one who sent Philip where he needed to go. But more importantly, God's the one who gave Philip the message, right? So Philip, what does Philip preach? It says he preaches Jesus. He simply preaches what Jesus told his disciples to preach. That all of the scriptures point to Jesus. That in Jesus there is life. And I think this is critical when we talk about what we're doing as ambassadors of the gospel. It's not my mission, right? I don't get to decide what I think people need. Instead, I listen and I say, here's what God says the world needs. Because men and women like us have sinned and are destined for hell, apart from God's intervention. And God says, here's your mission. You go to the world and you say, there there is a way to life with me forever through Jesus Christ. I've mentioned to you before that when I was in high school, one of my first jobs, when I was 15 years old, I worked at Chick-fil-A in the Prestonwood Mall in Dallas, Texas, which no longer exists, the mall. Obviously, Chick-fil-A does. Right? But, but when I got that job there, you know what my job was at 15? It was to do whatever they told me to do. right? And what, what was my role in the organization? Ultimately, it was to help them sell chicken, right? So I would stand at the register and I would help sell chicken, or I would help make the chicken, or I would stand out front and I would hand out samples of the chicken. That, that was what they were trying to do, was they were trying to sell chicken sandwiches and chicken nuggets to people who needed to eat, right? I didn't get to decide that they should have some other mission, right? I didn't get to come in and say, you know what people really like is tacos, right? We should probably turn this into a taco place. They go, well, that's not who we are, right? you're 15, it's our company, sell chicken, right? That was their mission. I think all too often we, we forget that our, our mission in the world primarily, primarily is not simply to make people feel happy. It's not simply that we have some sort of uh, concept of what people need, right? Maybe we think, you know what, people really need to know how to work harder. People really need to know how to ascend to the next social class. People really need to know something that I'm selling. But Philip recognizes, no, God has given me a mission that God designed. That my mission in life is to carry the message of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I bring as I move into the world. God designed the mission. As I mentioned before, Matthew 28, the last words Jesus gave to his apostles, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. A disciple is just somebody who follows Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus, with his last words before he ascends into heaven, he says, this is what I want you to do. This is your mission. God designed the mission. Second point is this. God chooses the messengers. God chooses the messengers. One of the things that's most interesting about Philip is Philip is is not an apostle, right? As you look at Acts chapter 8, Philip is not one of the 12 guys uh, who most people would have considered most important in the early church. He's not an apostle. He is is one of these men that has been selected by the apostles to minister to the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, right? So Philip is a Greek-speaking Jew, right? And the reason that's important is because if you were especially in the area of Israel or Jerusalem in the first century, and you were a Greek-speaking Jew, to the Hebrew Speaking Jews, you were largely considered a second class Jew. Right? You weren't one of the more important ones because you spoke Greek. You didn't speak Hebrew. Right? So Philip is not a particularly important person in the Jewish culture nor in the Christian culture. And yet God sends Philip to carry this message to cross racial and ethnic lines so that the gospel can go to the nations. He says, Philip's the guide. And what I love about this, as you read through the Bible, this is what God almost always does, is he chooses messengers that we would look at and say, "Mm, maybe not the most qualified. Go all the way back. Think about Moses. God calls Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And you explain to Pharaoh who I am and that these are my people. And what does Pharaoh say? He goes, I think you've got the wrong person. I am slow of speech. Moses apparently has a speech impediment. He says, I'm not the guy to go stand in Pharaoh's court. God says, hey, hey Moses, who made your mouth? Who made you? Go, right? David, the last born of his family, not particularly impressive, not the tallest, not the strongest, not the most prominent. God says, David, I want you to be the representative of my people. And David wrote the Psalms, the vast majority of them, from where we learn about God. Jonah, Jonah is, a, is another one. Jonah is sent to the Assyrians, to the Ninevites, and he hates them. And yet God sends him. He hates these people. And God says, yeah, Jonah, you're the guy. Peter, a brash fisherman who doesn't usually know how to control his tongue and he acts before He thinks, and in this great twist, you get to the book of Acts, and here is Peter eloquently speaking to men and women from every nation about Jesus Christ. Matthew, the tax collector. Paul, the persecutor of the church. God sends people that we would think are unqualified. Here's why. Because the reason he sends people like you and me, you want to know, is because he sends people like you and me who are sinful, unqualified, unworthy because he wants his glory to be displayed and not ours. And so sometimes God doesn't send the smartest, the most famous, the most gifted, but he sends ordinary people. God chooses the messengers. If you think you are unqualified to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ into your workplace or into your neighborhood or into your family, here's what I'd say. The only qualifications are this. One, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And two, are you willing to go? That's it. Do you know Jesus and are you willing to go? You know, I was thinking a few weeks ago, one of our kids uh, said that uh, they would like to one day become the CEO of Crayola. And uh, I thought, man, that's, that's, a, that's a lofty goal, but I love it, right? So we began to, to, to talk to the, the kid and we said, you know, here are the things you probably wanna think about if you wanna do that one day, right? You've probably done this with your kids. So you need to think about like, you probably need to work hard in school. You probably need to do well. You need to develop a strong work ethic. You need to learn how to relate to people. Probably need to color a lot, right? You, you got to think about the qualifications. And so we lay out the qualifications, right? And most jobs are like that. If you apply for a job, there might be a list of qualifications a mile long. And you look and you go, I either do fit this or I don't fit this, right? But when we look at the qualifications to be a messenger of Jesus Christ, and I look at the life of Philip and I look at the life of the early Christians, they say, you know what? I'm qualified. Why? Because God has called me. Because I know Jesus and I'm willing to go. And so God chooses the messengers and God has chosen you and God has chosen me. God chooses the messengers. And then thirdly, God goes ahead of us. God goes ahead of us. I I love this passage from from Acts chapter eight because you have this Ethiopian official and we really don't know a lot about the guy other than that he works for uh, the queen and he's in charge of all of her money. But for some reason, it says he's come to Jerusalem to worship God, right? We don't know how he heard about God. We don't know what his family was like. Maybe he had some Jewish relatives somewhere in his past we don't know but he comes to jerusalem to worship god and on the way back he has a scroll he has a scroll of isaiah now i cannot overemphasize how unusual it would have been for a private individual to have his own scroll of the book of isaiah right isaiah was one of the longer books especially in the old testament so this was a pricey item to purchase people didn't own books on their shelves like we do today so here is apparently a wealthy man who has come to Jerusalem and, and, and he takes his money and he buys a scroll of Isaiah and he's sitting in his chariot and he happens to be reading at this very moment Isaiah 53, the great suffering servant passage, right? And so God says, hey, Philip, I want you just to go hang out at this, this road. And, and so Philip, I, I just can't imagine what Philip is thinking. He's like, hey, just so you know, God, I'm in the desert, on a road. And here comes this chariot. And God says, Philip, go up to the chariot, right? And so he's running alongside the chariot. And the guy is reading and he's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he looks over and and apparently doesn't seem as surprised as I would be. The Ethiopian guy goes, well, how can I? Unless somebody explains it. Hop in. So Philip hops in and he begins to explain. And everything about this passage to me is powerful because of this. Before Philip got there, God was working in this Ethiopian man's life, maybe for generations. We don't know what's been going on in his background, but we know God is already working. And at this very moment, he has opened maybe the most powerful passage in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. And so he's primed and he's ready. Right? And the reason this is critical is because as we move into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we just need to remember, God is already going before us. He's already there. He's already at your office. He's already in your neighborhood. He's already with your family. Right? We don't go and say, you know what? I have got to bring people to Jesus. Instead, we walk into a world where God is already at work drawing people to know him through creation, through conscience, through the books they read, through even the most unlikely sources. And so we just say, God, I'll go. And God is already moving. God goes ahead of us. I, I Very quickly, I was reading an article earlier this week from a few years ago. It's, it's by a woman named Nicole Cliff. It's how, called, How God Messed Up My Happy Atheist Life. Begins, she says, I became a Christian on July 7th, 2015, after a very pleasant adult life of firm atheism. She talks about how she'd been an atheist since college, but she happened to become friends with a woman whose father was a pastor, right? And this father, her, the pastor father happened to write an obituary for Dallas Willard, a, a well-known Christian writer. And she said, so I read the obituary just to be polite to my friends, And she said, I ran across this. It says, somebody once asked Dallas if he believed in total depravity. I believe in sufficient depravity, he responded immediately. What's that? I believe that every human being is sufficiently depraved that when we get to heaven, no one will be able to say, I merited this. Now, I read that section from the obituary and it doesn't grip me, right? It's not deeply moving. But she says, I read it and I burst into tears. And I thought, what's going on? And she began to to process, do I I need to explore God? So she said, I started reading Christian uh, literature by great Christian writers. And she said, every one that I read, I would get a few pages in and I would burst into tears. And so she said, okay, I either need to stop reading this stuff or I got to deal with who God is. And ultimately, all of this culminated, she emailed a friend who was a Christian, and she said, I think I need to talk to you about Jesus. And she said, as soon as I sent the email, I thought, oh man, I I need to get that email back. (laughs) But she said, in the intervening time, spirit began to work, and she said, by the next day when my friend emailed me back, I told her, not only do I believe in God, but I became a Christian. And so God was moving before her friend, who may have been in her life for years, ever got that email. And all her friend does is go in and say, let me tell you more about the God who has been chasing you down. Because that's what God does. We don't know how he's working exactly, but he goes ahead. So we don't have to be afraid because he's always at work. So the question for us this morning is this, will we be obedient messengers who carry the gospel to those who need to hear it, because God delights in using ordinary people to carry his message. Unlikely messengers, much like the pigeon. God has called us. We're gonna watch a short video before Dusty gets up in which we're just gonna see a story of how one person's life was impacted by some faithful ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the impact that made in her life. So watch the video and then Dusty will come up
1: through god's plans he gave me a potluck roommate who is on fire for him and so when she invited me i said yes and so that's when i walked in the doors of grace bible church i found myself just looking around at people as they were worshiping i looked at their position their physical position of worship it was a position of surrender and a position of awe and i just remember thinking Man, if their God is worthy of worship like that, I want to I want to worship a God like that. And we sat down uh, for the sermon and the pastor gets up and he says, open up your Bibles with me. And I had this moment of what? I didn't even bring my Bible to college. It's been dusting away in my shelf at home. I didn't think I'd need it. I haven't needed it for the past 18 years. I looked onto my roommate's Bible, um, which was all highlighted and marked up, and that was new to me. I remember the feeling that I felt when I walked out of the church doors, and it was a feeling of action. I remember just wanting to dig deeper, wanting to go and read more. I was already interested at this point of who this God was. Was it the same God that I grew up believing in? Why is this God seen so much more alive here? Through this Bible study, I, for the first time in my life, got to just open up the Word and study it with friends and ask questions about it. A couple years later, I was a Bible study leader. And as a leader, this is where Greek ministry steps in and they disciple the leaders so that leaders then can be disciple makers. She taught me what it looks like to be discipled in a way that I could replicate it. It is so cool to be just on the total opposite side of that, where now I've gotten to be the person discipling these leaders, teaching them the content that they're gonna teach their girls. And so it has been just a really cool picture of spiritual multiplication, which is just crazy cool. They are fully capable to be disciple-makers because they have the Holy Spirit within them. They are capable if they know God and have been walking with Him. And the best part is, if they're eager to be a disciple-maker, They have to be a disciple first. And so I think it's important to always have that person like pulling in front of you. And then who is the person that you're going to be pulling as well behind you? As long as there's a person on both sides, I think that you're more than ready to go, not just be a disciple, but a disciple maker.
2: I love Allie's story. I love how she went from just a new college student, not really having any real spiritual intentionality in her life to them being invited to a church service and then in a Bible study and then leading a Bible study and then leading leaders of Bible study and now a fellow giving so much of her life toward following Christ. But did you notice how it all started? Really simply, a potluck roommate who said, hey, you wanna come to church with me? And through that moment, she got to see other people worshiping. She got to see what it looked like to see a Bible that's been studied And time spent in it, lives that have been changed, and then she just got on fire. So much like Matt said, God's already stirring in her. God's already working in her life. And then a roommate who simply says, hey, come and see something that's important to me in my life. I want to encourage you today that every single one of you are capable of sharing Christ in the way that you live your life. I'm a big loud goofy dude. When I uh, sat down with Buck Anderson, our leadership uh, development pastor, and he kind of he does all these tests and then he tells us like what our our value is to the institution. And Buck basically said, he says these weren't his words, but he basically said, "Dusty, you're a little above average at everything, but you excel at nothing." Said, okay, great, Buck. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. But seriously, Just believing in your heart that life is truly found in Jesus, walking with Him and finding that joy and hope and purpose really is found there. Spending some time in your life spinning your wheels on things that don't bring a whole lot of life and joy. Just make it worth it. It's not it's not some magical equation that we have to put together, a mystical prayer that we get somebody to say, but it's just the truth. It's just reality. We have a neighbor who lives across the street from us and we've been neighbors for like 14 years. They have two younger kids and so we spend a lot of time playing baseball in the cul-de-sac and jumping on the trampoline and he loves to go all out with Christmas decorations. So I grab my ladder and run over and help set up snow machines and like these blow up snow globes that are bigger than his house. And for years we've just, gotten to know each other, and at times, I've just kind of opened the door and said, hey, what do you know about God? What do you think about God? And they're, man, fantastic family, and they believe in God, and that it's great to go to church if you want to, and all of that, but there just, there really isn't a lot of depth or, or, or excitement or intentionality about knowing God, and so as I've tried over the years to open that conversation, it hadn't hadn't really opened, but I've just Stayed intentional. Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I think life is really about. And after 10 years of knowing that family, his mom passed away. And they weren't really connected to a body and they didn't really know where to turn. And so he came to me and he said, hey, would you be willing to do the service for my mom? And I'm like, man, yeah, I'd love to. And so, man, this relationship over time of intentionally telling him, Man, I know Jesus. I love Jesus. I think life is found in Jesus. And then the doors swing wide open. And not not only do I get to walk through all of this in detail with him, but I get to share it with all of his family and friends too. We had a cool moment when Amanda was pursuing her PhD. There was a a guy in the same lab. His name was, oh, I'll leave that out. But he's from Sweden, really cool guy. Um, We spent a, a ton of time Pursuing this guy, loving this guy, getting to know this guy. Probably probably the most intentional and most time we've ever spent just really chasing after somebody. Um, hey, you want to come over to the house and do your laundry? We'd love for you to do that. You want to come share a meal? You need help with something? What's going on in your research? Just, just constantly, constantly. And there was probably, I don't know, six or seven times over four years where we got to just completely lay out the gospel. And when he left to, to take a new assignment at another school, he said, you know, guys, I still don't believe in Jesus. He's very much atheist, just evolution, just basic what you would find in, in a lot of biological sciences. But he said, you know, as I leave and I go to my next school, I want you to know that I do think there's probably something more than I've really given credit And I think I see Christians in a whole new way because of the way you guys have invested in me and loved in me, getting nothing in return. So I share these stories to say, sometimes there's lots and lots and lots of time spent and you don't get to see it come to anything. Sometimes you spend lots of time and, and you get to have this awesome moment where you see spiritual growth and spiritual life. But for me, just the base of it is wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play, it's just being excited about Jesus and letting people know that that's where your joy and that's where your life comes from. So what I want to do at this time is I want to walk through um, a gospel illustration. It's called the three circles. Uh, You can Google it later. There's tons of different ways to do it. The thing I love about gospel illustrations. They're just illustrations. You can say it however you want. You can draw it however you want. It's just a tool for you to be able to say, hey, here's the reality of the world. Here's who Jesus is. I really think if you knew him, life would be a lot better, a lot more joy, a lot more peace, a lot more purpose. And so this one in particular, I like it because you can start with brokenness. And it's really easy to point out brokenness. Everyone is feeling some kind of disconnect, some kind of brokenness. You look around in the world, and brokenness is everywhere. And so you just start with one little circle, and you just write the word brokenness. And you just say, a lot of times this has come out of a conversation, and they've revealed that there's something going on in their life that's really hard, that's really, they're really hurting, or someone that they're close to that's really experiencing a hard time. And so I just start there, and I say, man, it's so obvious. I'm so sorry. That you're going through that. And it's so easy to look around in the world and see that brokenness is everywhere. There's just pain. But you know that that's not the way that it always was. And so then you draw a little circle more over here on the left, and you say, in the beginning, when God created this world, you know, men and women, they we walked intimately with God, and there was just a perfect relationship. But then this thing called sin entered the picture and You know, mankind, we just kind of decided we don't need God. Like, we want to go out on our own way and do things our, our own way. And so there's things in our life that don't line up with who God is, that fall short of his perfect love and his perfect holiness. And those things separate us from him, where life and joy is found. And then there's all these things coming off of brokenness as people feel that something's wrong where they just try to, to solve that problem. They try to chase, chase significance through popularity or through what they can accomplish in their work or their studies. Or they try to uh, medicate the brokenness or numb the brokenness through all different kinds of substances. Or they just try to ignore it and get lost in, in chasing legalism or, or finding value in just simply going through the details of religion And yet there's only one way back to the original design, back to an intimate relationship with God. And that's through Jesus. And there goes the third circle. And you draw a little arrow and you say, the only thing necessary to get back on this path of a a, a relationship with God, intimacy, where joy is found in life. Not that you get to escape the brokenness, but there's joy and peace and significance in the brokenness. And that's because Jesus Christ, God himself, came down to earth and he died on a cross. And he died on that cross because of that sin that we talked about. And when we believe that Jesus died for our sin, we're forgiven of that sin. And that forgiveness, that being seen and being counted as righteous, perfect in God's eyes, is what allows us to re engage in that friendship and that relationship with him. So turn away from all of the other ways of trying to solve the brokenness and then believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to deal with it. And then once you do that, you have this great opportunity to grow in that relationship like you have in any relationship. And daily, you get to walk with him, you get to know him, you get to experience him on a deeper and deeper level. And then you get the great opportunity to go. As you experience this joy and this great gift in this life that you have now and then will have forever, you get to enter back into that brokenness and offer that same amazing gift to others. And I like to wrap up by going, you know, everybody in the world's in one of two places. They're either over here in the brokenness circle trying to, figure out significance in life, trying to deal with the brokenness, or they're down here back experiencing, pursuing, growing in that relationship of God's perfect design from the beginning. Where, where would you say you fit? Which circle would you most identify with? It's a great way. It's a, you're telling a story. You're laying out the gospel because you're excited about it, and you're giving them an opportunity to self-identify. Where do they fit? A couple over, I'm just going to show you. I'm not going to walk through, um, but there's the bridge illustration. It's been around for a long, long, long time. And on this one, I really like to start with somebody who already acknowledges that there's a God. And so I just, you know, can draw that, that top line. Man, here's mankind. Here's God. Originally created perfectly in fellowship. So the first one, you start with brokenness. This one, you start with God. And his amazingness. And then right where the cross is, I, I start with a line and then I erase that middle part or scribble it out and draw the big chasm and say, "But well, we're separated. And then from the mankind side, you can kind of draw these little lines and say things like doing good works or going to church or being the best person you could be. And, but none of them can actually cross it. The only thing that can create that bridge back to a relationship with God is Jesus Christ. And that gives you the opportunity to talk through that. And then the last one, I just like to talk about the difference of wages versus a free gift. And I, typically I do this with someone who's familiar with the scriptures, who's, who's kind of, maybe I've been talking with them a while about this, and I'm just really trying to challenge them to make a decision. And so I'll just go to Romans six twenty three: The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life. in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I spend some time talking about a wage. What is a wage? You know, if you were going to come mow my yard and we agreed, you mow the yard, I give you 30 bucks. Then your wages are what you earn. The wages of mowing the yard is 30 bucks. And so the wages of sin is death. So if you have any sin in your life, you've earned death. You've earned separation from God, and that's what you get. But that's not what you always have to stay with. Because there's another offer, a free gift of eternal life. And you talk about how that is available through Jesus and that everyone has to decide to stick with what they've earned or get to lean into a precious free gift through Jesus Christ, and that's life. Something we have coming up is the big giveaway. I want to encourage every single one of you uh, to consider coming out to this. It's August 25th, and this year, the night before, they're actually doing a big party as well. And so there's a big party where they're going invi- to have all these different foods and music and dance and opportunities to talk with international students, and then the next day is the actual giveaway. The cool thing about the giveaway... If you hear everything we're saying and you're like, yeah, I'm on board. I'm killing it. I'm out there and I'm on fire for Jesus. And I just live letting people know about the great life found in him. Then this is an awesome field for you to come be a part of the harvest. International students coming to us expecting to have spiritual conversation. If you're in the other camp and you go, man, I see the significance. I see the importance, but yeah, I'm still just a little nervous. I'm not... I haven't really tried to do this. I'm not. I, it it still feels uncomfortable. Then this is a great place to come practice. I'm a big sports guy, so if sharing your faith, if sharing about Jesus was was going to be baseball, uh, doing it at work or at school might feel a little bit like the big leagues because it feels like it's professional environment, and I don't want to offend or cross any boundaries. Maybe doing it in your neighborhood would be coach pitch or machine pitch because it's a little more informal and. There's some relationships. Well, the big giveaway is T-ball. I mean, the ball is on the T. It's not going, you just get to come try over and over and over. Moving from just kind of external discussion to internal discussion to eternal discussion. Over and over and over. So whichever camp you, you fall in, I really want to invite you uh, to consider coming and being a part of that. And, and just growing in your excitement for how you share about who Jesus is and what he offers. Uh, At this time, the worship team's gonna come back up and we're gonna have some time and just responsive worship and song uh, before the Lord and and together. So I'm gonna pray and then uh, they'll lead us again. Dearly Father, God, we just come before you this morning and we do thank you that you're a loving God, that you're a faithful God, that you created us to know you. You created us to be in relationship with you. And when we walked away from you, when we brought death and destruction and wrath into this world through sin, you didn't let us stay there. You sent Jesus. You provided a way back to life, to love, to joy. God, I pray that we would be so convinced of that, so excited about that. That it would just be who we are and what we're about. Where we work, where we live, where we play. May we celebrate that this morning together and be bold and courageous as we go out from this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.